Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. We love talking about M&A activity here on Fear and Greed. A good acquisition is exciting for those watching the markets and for investors, it should represent an opportunity for a company to grow and deliver returns to shareholders. But what does a company look for when considering a takeover? And what happens when they pay too much? Most importantly, what's that mean for shareholders? Remember, this is general information only, and you should get professional advice before making any investment decisions. Roger Montgomery is the founder and chief investment officer of Montgomery Investment Management. Roger, after the Christmas break, welcome back to Fear and Greed. It's great to be on the show again, guys, and I hope you're all well. Where did you have a good break, Roger? Yes, I did. I um I have a son who lives in Tokyo, and so oh, wow. the family went to visit him, and uh, yeah, it was wonderful seeing him again. And it was nice to have that family all together. I've got to ask you, Roger, you have been in the markets for many years. And as a journalist, you have, in my journalism time, you've always been kind of in markets. How do you relax? By not thinking about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you can do that? Well, no. Um, I found myself <laughs> I found myself checking on markets and stocks pretty yeah. much every day. But I do that in the very early hours of the morning when everyone's still asleep. And then, um, then we get on with a, you know, enjoying our holiday. I'm digressing here a little bit, but I remember when I used to manage journalists, and journalists are probably a little bit like people in the market, they are obsessed. I was always pushing them to stop thinking about work because you become a broader person just by experiencing other stuff that helps you in your job. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. For what it's worth, my observation you know, of Japan from being over there, and you can't help thinking about the economy and thinking about the structure of businesses and how things are going, is that you know, it really is lacking innovation. It's really mm. lacking massive investment. That's a function of the fact their average age is 49 yep. and their working age population is declining. I saw, you know, many instances where there were three or four people doing the job of one person in Australia. You know, that in the checkout in the supermarket, there'd be yeah. two or three people helping you get through the checkout when really you only needed one. And they're, yeah, they're just because the population's declining, there's no incentive to invest. Mm. Yeah, fascinating. Anyway, back to MA. Okay. So let's look at the basics first, Roger. What does a company look at when acquiring a business? What is it thinking about? Well, what it should be looking at is returns to shareholders. Can this acquisition, can spending this money on this particular target, enhance returns to shareholders. And when you think about returns to shareholders, there's a number of ways of measuring that. I tend to look at, and what what I think managers should look at when they're allocating capital is return on equity, how profitable uh, that acquisition is going to be, and will it enhance profitability, existing profitability for shareholders. But unfortunately, often what managers will look at when they're making an acquisition is, can this grow our footprint? Can this expand our earnings can it expand earnings per share? Will our revenue go up? And so that can lead to a misallocation of resources if you're looking at the wrong measures of return uh, when thinking about acquisitions. And, and you know, there's a lot of hubris as well. And so managers need to be careful, CEOs need to be careful that they're not simply growing for growth's sake. And, uh, you know, there, there's sometimes there's an incentive to grow because by being bigger, you'll you'll become a more attractive target and that can be the wrong incentive. I think it was Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger who said, show me the incentives and I'll show you the behaviour. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. the, you know, there really needs to be a focus on return on capital or return on invested capital and return on equity. Okay. So, let's say that 
is the focus and they've decided to make a, an acquisition, what is it that makes a good acquisition? I mean, it's not even necessarily whether it's a quality or a non-quality company in a way, because if you can, I mean, the example that you've just given about a Japan supermarket, potentially that may not be quality, but someone can take that over and take costs out and become much more efficient. Indeed. I'm just wondering, is it management? Is that what really matters most? Is it how capital is employed? What are you thinking about? Yeah, so CEOs have to have two skills. They've got to be able to run the business, but they also need to know how to allocate capital. And they're two distinct skills. Uh, The best CEOs are able to do both very, very well. But in answer to your question, we hear a lot about synergies. You know, you'll hear about costs being taken out of businesses. We can we can get rid of duplication if we acquire this business. We don't need two accounting departments. We don't need two HR departments. We can cut costs. That will be synergistic. And that should be a minimum expectation, particularly if you're paying too much for an acquisition. So often there's an overpayment for control. So there's an expectation in markets that if I'm relinquishing control of a company to uh, a company that's acquiring me, I should demand a premium because they're going to have control. The consequence of paying that premium is that you need synergies. You need cost cutting. You need to have earnings accrete. You need higher earnings to justify that higher price that you've paid. One of the things that I hear a lot is earnings accretion, talking about this is this acquisition will be earnings accretive in year one or year two. Well, well, that, again, that's a minimum requirement if you're overpaying. And remember, you could put money in the bank and that's going to be earnings accretive. So, you know, there's, there's nothing really exciting about earnings accretion. What you really should be thinking about is what is the impact on the return on equity of the acquirer as a consequence of making that acquisition and where return on equity drops substantially as a result of making an overpriced acquisition, that typically is negative for share price performance subsequently for a period of time. Okay. And as you alluded to then, management don't just have one choice to take over or not to take over. They can actually use that capital in other ways and they've got to be measuring the return on equity or the return on that investment vis-a-vis the other options. Well, yeah, and one of those other options is buying back your own shares. Yeah. You know, if the share price is low, if you believe it's time to make acquisitions because there are bargains abounding, well, maybe your shares are a bargain. So, you know, should you be acquiring your shares at a, at a lower price? That could enhance return on equity, particularly if you're buying at or near the equity per share level. Stay with me, Roger. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Roger Montgomery, founder and chief investment officer of Montgomery Investment Management. Okay, with that in mind, I want to talk about a couple of examples. One was quite a while ago and a very big one, the other more recent. So Coles, the acquisition of Coles by West Farmers back in 2007, what happened there? You've written quite a bit about this. Yeah, so at the time the acquisition was made, I I actually wrote several articles saying that that they'd overpaid for that acquisition. And in fact, I gave a presentation for the Australian Stock Exchange uh, on a Saturday in Perth at the time. And I said that uh, West Farmers is overpaid and West Farmers share price is going to go down. And well, you you can imagine the response of the mm. yeah, sometimes Perth. parochial <laughs> WA yep. investors turned out to to be correct. And the, the reason why is quite simple. Um, Coles at the time, this is back in 2007, Coles at the time was generating a profit of $747 million. And they were doing that on balance sheet equity of about 
well, had $3.6 billion at the start of the year and $3.9 billion at the end of the year. So it was average equity for that year of about $3.75 billion, which meant that the return on equity that they were generating was 20%. Right. Yep. So, okay. So Coles is generating 20% on the money that Coles shareholders had invested in the business. So capital they'd contributed and capital that they'd left in the business. So retained profits. So the combination of, of, of share, shareholders capital and retained profits amounted to $3.75 billion on which the company was generating 20%. So that's step one. Yep. Okay, so then you ask yourself the question, well, if I'm going to buy coals and I want to get a 20% return on my money, I can't pay a dollar more than the equity in the business. So the equity in the business was three average equity $3.75 billion. Yep, yep. I can't pay more than that. And if I p- don't pay more than that, I will be earning 20% a year, which is great. Now, if I think I'm a brilliant retailer and I think I can do a better job than existing management, then I could potentially pay a bit more because I know that the profit that I'm going to generate is going to be higher. I'm going to get some synergies. I'm going to extract costs. uh, I'm going to get rid of some duplication, blah, blah, blah. And I can pay more than that. So what would you pay if you thought, for example, that you could increase the profits, you might pay a bit more. If you were happy with a lower return than 20%, you could pay a bit more. So if you wanted a 10% return on your money, you could pay double the equity of the business. So you'd pay 7.5 two or thereabouts, billion dollars, and that would give you a 10% return on your money. If you are happy with a quarter of 20%, so if you're happy with 5% return, you could pay four times the equity or $14.5 billion. But if you pay any more than that, you're really starting to get into at to a point where you have to ask yourself, why am I taking this additional risk? Why am I taking on the risk of owning a business for a return that's really not much more than I could get in a term deposit? That doesn't make sense. So paying anything more than $14.5 billion would be crazy. And then I remember doing the, the calculations and, you know, if I took out costs, if I was a great retailer, if I thought I was a good merchant and I could do a better job, the maximum I would be willing to pay at the time for for Coles would have been about $11.7 billion. And I wrote about this in, in subsequently wrote about this in my book, Valuable. West Farmers didn't pay $3.75 billion. They didn't pay $7.2 billion. They didn't pay $11.7 billion. They paid $22 billion wow. for it. Right. So they were earning a return on equity of just 3.5%. Didn't West Farmers back then have, I'm trying to remember, but they had these bunch of rules where they had to have return on equity in double digits or something? Well, that broke that rule yeah, um, because, sure because the consequence was that the return on equity they were getting for the acquisition was just 3.5%. And because that was going to be consolidated into the accounts of West Farmers, it would ultimately dilute West Farmers' return on equity as well. And so they clearly overpaid, and that was reflected in two subsequent events. So number one, the shares did fall. They fell from 41 or $42. I think they ultimately got down to about $12 during the GFC. So they fell considerably more than many other. So people would say, oh, that's due to the GFC. Well, no, they fell a lot more in relative terms than many other companies during the GFC, particularly big, you know, big established businesses on the ASX. So they fell a lot harder. And then, as we know, in 2018, they ended up uh, selling or spinning off 
Coles to shareholders. They couldn't sell it, so they just gave it back to shareholders. And when they sold it, it was capped at $16.6 billion, right? So they paid 22 in 2007, and then 11 years later, they effectively got $16.6 billion for it. So they clearly overpaid. And, you know, I think that's a, a great example of not only how to assess an acquisition, but also a, a great testament to how important return on equity is for judging whether or not a company has overpaid. Okay, we're running out of time, but I just do want to ask you quickly about online car marketplace, carsales.com.au and its recent purchase of Trader Interactive. You're not a fan? Well, using the same framework as we've just discussed for, for West Farmers and Coles, the executive summary is you reach the same conclusion with car sales acquisition of Trader Interactive. So they basically paid $797 million for the first 49% back in 2001, and then they paid $1.1 billion, almost $1.2 billion for the other 51% in June last year. So the total acquisition price was just less than $2 billion. And at the time, they said the acquisition expected to generate attractive financial returns for shareholders with low double-digit EPS accretion in year one, quote, unquote. Now, as I said, we we, we love an earnings accretive acquisition yeah, yeah. and we love synergies and they're, they're on track for doing, in fact, they're ahead of their time, you know, timeline for, for extracting synergies from that business. But at a bare minimum, that's, you know, you've done nothing exceptional if you've overpaid. And the question is, have they overpaid? Car sales was generating for its shareholders in FY20, this is before they made the first half acquisition, they were generating a near 30% return on share on shareholders' capital. So if shareholders demand the same 30% from any acquisition that car sales make, so as not to dilute the return that they're already getting, then Trader Interactive needs to generate an after-tax profit of almost $600 million. If shareholders are happy with a 10% return on equity, then Trader Interactive needs to generate an after-tax profit of $200 million. Problem is, annualised EBITDA, not after-tax profit, but annualised EBITDA from last year was only $91 million. So it's nowhere near the $200 million to get 10%, and it's a long, long way from the $600 million needed to get 30%, which is what car sales was generating before making the acquisition. So what is going to happen now is the return on equity is going to drop substantially for car sales. From 29%, it's going to go somewhere like 10%. And unfortunately, that's going to have an influence on share price performance over the next couple of years. Now, it might be that management grow revenue and grow profit astronomically, and we really quickly recover to 30% return on equity. That has to happen for the share price to do well. In the absence of that, if it just plods along and doesn't grow substantially the after-tax profits, then return on equity will be diluted for car sales, and it'll be a while before shareholders see sustained terrific share price performance from car sales shares. Roger, that is a great journey through finance within an M&A deal. So thank you for your time this morning. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. And I think you guys are really brave allowing me to talk about that on a podcast <laughs> because, you know, most people will be, I think they'll be re- replaying it over and over again to say, now, what, what does that mean? Well, I mean, what we might do is just do a separate podcast on this because it is a really, really important thing. that Bottom line in this is it's the shareholders, might be my super fund, it could be my personal account, 
I'm losing value. And so it's really critical. Correct. And if the shares weren't listed, you are definitely going to be saying, so imagine for a moment the company wasn't listed on the stock market and everyone's hoping the shares go up. If it wasn't listed, you'd be spitting chips that they paid so much for this acquisition because it's going to dilute your return. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us this morning, Roger. A pleasure. That was Roger Montgomery, founder and chief investment officer of Montgomery Investment Management. This is the Fear and Greed daily interview. Remember, this is general information only and doesn't take into account your personal circumstances. You should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Sean Elmer. Enjoy your day.